Today, we come to the last message in this series that I called Adventure Awaits. And we're going to talk a little bit this morning about the starlit sojourners. Before we do that, though, let's just review for one last time what we have covered. So we began this series talking about six characters that appear in the birth narrative of Jesus. We talked a little bit about the ancient prophets, an old man, a young woman, an angelic assembly, and weary watchers, and we made different points along the way. The prophets, these crisis managers, use poems and word pictures and different figures of speech to communicate hope to a nation, the nation of Israel that is longing and hoping for release from foreign oppression. These prophets called for the common good, and they called for justice and righteousness, and they were giving their people hope in a helpless situation. And one prophet in particular, Isaiah, is quoted many times over in the New Testament, and many of his passages are recorded in uh, the birth narratives, particularly in the book of Matthew. Then we talked a little bit about a man by the name of Zechariah. He's an old man. He's a priest that waited many years to serve in the temple. And finally, his turn comes to burn incense in the temple in Jerusalem. He is married to a woman by the name of Elizabeth, and she is childless. And in her old age, both of them have given up hope on having their own child. But one day, on this special day, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, while he is burning incense, an angel appears to him and makes a promise that his prayers have been heard and that he is going to have a son. His wife, Elizabeth, is pregnant, and this boy that is going to be born is named John, and he is going to be the forerunner of the coming Messiah. Meanwhile, there is a woman by the name of Mary, a young woman. And Mary is an individual that uh, is quite unlikely to be a part of God's plan. She's from the Northern Territory of Galilee, and she is an individual that would be most unlikely to bring royalty uh, through her giving birth. And yet God reaches into northern Galilee and uses this young woman. An angel appears to her and says that she has found favor with God, and she becomes the locus of the incarnation where God will enter humanity through her miraculous conception. Then we talked about some angelic visitors this angelic assembly of people that is a mysterious uh, manifestation of God's intervention on behalf of the nation. Angels are very, very uh, mysterious. We don't know a whole lot about them. But what we do know is this angelic assembly comes and brings praise to God because the veil between heaven and earth has now been removed as God moves into the neighborhood, into the world, and, and there is the promise uh, that 
this child will be the bearer of good news. Then we talked a little bit about the shepherds who are also visited by angels. And these shepherds, these weary watchers, uh, represent kind of the bottom rung on the social ladder. But they are given good news that uh, born this night is one in this uh, little village of Bethlehem, a, a savior that is going to uh, deliver the people and bring good news of the kingdom of God. So these are the characters that we have looked at. And today, what we're going to look at is these visitors that came from the east looking for a newborn king. Now, when we think about these starlit sojourners, um, they see a star that arises in the east. Now, they make this trip for a very specific reason. I want to talk about that. You'll see it here in the four main points under the question why. They make the trip in opposition to Hellenization. I'll talk about that in a moment. When Alexander the Great defeated the Persians in 330 BCE, they lost much of their culture, just like the Jews did uh, in the oppression from the Greek Empire. The Magi in many ways, will carry a spirit of resistance with a deep desire to return to their Persian roots. And these sages are looking for signs, and when they see one, they believe there is the possibility of a regime change. So, having said that, let's think about this as we talk about the Magi. When we look at the text, we see that there is a star that arose, and these individuals that are called Magi in the text are looking for hope. Now, let me double back and talk just for a few moments about their opposition to Hellenization. When Alexander the Greek defeated the Persians, he brought the influences of the West to their world, even as subsequent generations long to return to their indigenous culture. The Persian leadership was discontent with the oppressive Greek exploitation. Now, that is also occurring in Palestine at the same time before the Romans defeat the Greeks and take over control of the nation of Israel. Well, like many elites, and it is believed that these Magi were elites, they had a spirit of resistance. And like many in the ancient Near East, these Persians believed that kings were connected to, uh, to divinity in some way, and it, they believed that maybe this was a foreshadowing of the birth of an individual, a new kind of king that would bring hope to their world. So this is the landscape of the Magi as they travel. They will navigate peril while they carry promise. As these sages, who will steward the wisdom of their own culture, as well as their own understanding of local and civic knowledge, they are individuals that are going to come 
primarily to push against the Hellenization that has occurred for many years. And a rising star in the sky gave them reason to believe that there is a regime change on the horizon. So they set out, much like Abraham set out to Ur, not really knowing where they're going, but understanding that if they make the journey, God will lead them to the right place. So here is a group of people, maybe on the very cusp of giving up hope that they can return back to their roots, to their culture, and to their indigenous ways. So they set out with an openness, trying to find a king that will allow them to have freedom. Now think back a little bit to when Cyrus the Persian came to the throne after the Medo-Persian Empire in the Old Testament defeated Babylon. There's a guy by the name of Cyrus that releases the Jewish people to go back to their homeland. Now, they still need to be in cooperation with the Persian Empire, but there is a certain amount of free freedom for them to be themselves. Perhaps these Magi are looking for the same thing in the hopes that a newborn Jewish king will then return the favor back to Persia that was once given by Cyrus to the Jewish people. And so we see they set out on this journey. And as they set out on this journey, they believe that they are being led by a celestial being. This unknown star is indicated to be the birth of this significant person. So they follow this star, and they come to a small village in Judea, an outpost of the Roman Empire. And it is there they find this young king, and they will present him various gifts. They present him gold, a prized commodity in the ancient Near East, uh, they will provide for him uh, frankincense, which is kind of like an incense, and myrrh, which interestingly enough was a spice that was used many times for embalming. Their travel and their gifts and their homage to this Bethlehem king pointed to possible treason to the power of Rome, who is now in power. They weren't looking in Judea for a king for themselves only. They were looking for a possibility for an opportunity to find what they could never recapture even after Greece was defeated by Rome. So they will find this king in a most unexpected place. The elite functionaries uh, must have been surprised that the star guided them to such an ordinary and even lowly family. They believe this child was the origin of a new regime that might also signal a future freedom, and so they will worship him. Now, they come first to Jerusalem, and as they come to Jerusalem, they come to the king that's currently on the throne, Herod. And as they come asking where this newborn king is to be born, what we find is that Herod becomes skittish and paranoid. 
thinking that this newborn king is going to um, get rid of him and and overtake him. So the star that appeared to the Magi uh, comes and and even though they stop in Jerusalem, the star leads them on to a better place. And this better place is to the newborn king that is found in what we often call, in the story that we were talking about earlier, a stable. Now, can you imagine if you follow a star and find a stable, what kind of disappointment you might be experiencing? When that star rose and they set off from Persia, hungry for hope, they believed, like most at that time, that the star would give them something significant and give to them promise. Well, they must have been disappointed, at least initially, that this newborn king was the child of a, a very poor couple. I ran across an interesting piece called The Magi and I. It's written by Brian Zond, and you can find it on the internet if you plug in that information. But I'd like to read it for you as we begin to wind down this series today. An old Magi remembers his hard journey from long ago. A hard time we had of it. He doesn't regret it. He says, I would do it again. But... Finding the king of the Jews came with a price. To be a witness of this birth was to also experience a particular death. The Magi had thought birth and death were different, but came to find out otherwise. Once you get even an inkling of what it really means that Jesus is king, nothing is ever quite the same. Some things will die for sure. We return to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensations with an alien people clutching their gods. Ain't it the truth? I know that when I really began to see the kingdom of God for what it is, cherished assumptions about the nation and life I call mine had to die. I was no longer at ease here in the old dispensation. Well, consider this. When the Magi made their way home, we're told they went by another way. Of course they did. Once you see the king, once you have the epiphany, you have to travel through this life by another way or betray all you have been granted to see. And to an alien people clutching their gods, you will seem at best odd and at worst, well, something quite bad. Truth doesn't come cheap. The hard journey to a real epiphany will cost you more than some. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It will cost you the way you look at the world. Something will have to die, and you may well mourn it. To really see the birth of Christ for what it is will bring you face to face with death, Death to what you once so were, were so comfortable with. Eliot's Magi conclude his memoir with this enigmatic line. I should be glad of another death. 
What does Eliot mean by that? I'm not entirely sure, but I think he means his magi to say something like this. I'm ready even for more, more epiphanies, more births, more stars in the East, which will, of course, lead to more deaths. That's the way it works. The birth of truth is death to the lie. And there are a lot of lies we've learned to love and cherish. The price of truth may be the willingness to endure a certain sorrow, the sorrow that comes from the death of a loved and cherished lie. Do you have any idea what I'm saying? If you think finding Christ means nothing more than adding him to your life, as one would add an insurance policy with death benefits to their life, you haven't yet had the real epiphany. The epiphany the old Magi speaks of. Christ is not something that will likely accommodate your cherished assumptions. Christ is the most radical thing that has ever happened to this world. To see Christ as Christ, the King of the Jews who is now King of the world, is to realize that Caesar is not Lord, Pharaoh is not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. Jesus cannot be owned or incorporated or subsumed into any other nation. Not Babylon, not Egypt, not Rome, not Russia, not England, not America. It is the kingdom of God. Christ does not come to endorse any nation. He comes to set up his own. But the nations of the world, all of them, will resist this because every nation insists that national sovereignty trumps everything. As long as nations believe that their national sovereignty trumps everything, they will be at war with Christ. Christ insists that his lordship trumps everything. So to see the birth of Christ for the epiphany it is, is not only to witness a birth, it is to encounter a death, the death of loved and cherished lies. Oh yes, there are lies we dearly love. What are these lies? I can't tell you. You love them too much. You have to see these lies as lies for yourself. But I can tell you what will happen when you see the lies. When you see the lies, you'll no longer be at home in Babylon. All the nations of the world insisting on their own sovereignty add up to one big Babylon. To have the epiphany of which I speak will make you an alien in your own land. As Eliot said, you will no longer be at ease here in the old dispensation, with an alien people clutching to their gods. The old Magi says, I should be glad of another death. What about you? Are you ready for the birth of the new? If it means the death to the old? Brian Zahn talks about T.S. Eliot's poem called A Journey of the Magi. And it is also written in several stanzas that touch on the difficult journey, the discovery that is made, and the distant memory of it all. And the poem begins with the demanding expedition in the dead of winter. Whether that's true or not, again, artistic liberty. But what we find is that the stubborn camels and 
camel drivers and the unfriendly towns and the dirty inns charging high prices are all along the way. The Magi clearly missed their accustomed Persian luxuries, and eventually they arrive at their destination, and suddenly it's spring, a lovely prophetic metaphor. This stanza is filled with symbols hinting at the life and death of Jesus as a running stream, a watermill beating the darkness, three trees on the low sky, pieces of silver and empty wineskins. At last they find their place and they are satisfied. But what makes this poem so powerful is the third stanza. An old magi remembers, and I quote from T.S. Eliot, all this was a long time ago, I remember, and I would do it again, but set down, this set down, this. We are all led that way for, for birth or death. There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our palaces, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here, in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods, end quote. What Eliot correctly understands and shows us in his brilliant poem is that with the birth of Christ, a new world was born and an old world dies. The old Magi who had seen Christ now describes his own nation as an alien people. From now on, the mad guy will live in unease as a stranger in his own kingdom. You see, the price of being born anew is dying to the old. This was true for the Magi. It was true for Nicodemus. It's true for me. And it's true for you. Being born again is not just a new life. It is also a death. The poem ends with this line. I should be glad of another death. Because through that death, our eyes are open and we see life in a new way. And the Magi read of the birth of Christ in the stars, but the king himself is born in a cave, born in a stable, born in a lowly way, and it had to be that way. In the kingdom of Christ, greatness is not achieved by reaching for the stars, but by love's willingness to come down to descend into lowliness and meekness and humility. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh are the prophetic gifts that bear witness to the Christ child. Gold for the king of kings, frankincense for the God of gods, and myrrh for Emmanuel, who will join us in death that we might join him in resurrection. So as we come to the end of this, series. And we come to the end of this message about these starlit sojourners that come a long way bearing gifts. We pray this prayer. Oh God, once we have seen Christ and know him to be the King of Kings, we can never go back to our old ways, to our own lives, 
may we ever be on the starlit sojourn that leads to your eternal kingdom. Amen. I'd like to end this recording with a song. It's a song that I think typifies all of us who are starlit sojourners. It's a song called Follow You. It was recorded by Leland and Brandon Heath. And it talks about all of us moving into new places, moving into new areas, moving into the areas we think that we don't belong, moving toward those that are needy, moving toward those who are hungry, moving toward those who are hopeless. Lord God, help us to follow you in 2000. 23. Amen. Listen to the song. Enjoy it. And happy, have a very happy and joyous new year. God bless you.